Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Alexis Burble, who is Senior Manager of Customer Enablement at Flexport. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Alexis, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Alexis, uh, could we start off by sharing with the listener a little bit about Flexport, just in case they're not they're not aware, and um, a little about your role there, please? Yeah, you bet. So, Flexport was founded in 2013 to help companies track, coordinate, streamline, and manage freight shipments and inventories. So, we work in the logistics space, and um, as you've probably heard, very popular topic in the news, which was not the case when I joined Flexport in 2019. So, it's been quite a ride since then. Okay, wonderful. And what's your what's your role there, Alexis? Yeah, so at Flexport, um, I joined in 2019 and as an enablement manager. Mm. And so enablement at Flexport is kind of a combination of um, training, change management, and scalable communications. Um, and I joined in our APAC function. So I actually moved to Shenzhen, China to support Shenzhen, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and uh, during my time there, we opened Singapore. And uh, at the time, enablement at Flexport meant that it was very regionally focused. It was like, what do you need as a business unit in this area? We'll kind of figure out how to connect the dots from there. Mm. Um, and so in 2020, my world, the whole world, our business changed where we went from being very hyper-focused on what do we need to do you know, in this region to... How do we connect with one another? How do we connect? Um, how do we, you know, motivate and uh, help people do well in their roles at Flexport um, digitally, working from home? And so that was a big change of pace uh, for everybody. Um, and so then in 2020, I was back in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were a centralized business unit, and so we had to think about things like scalability. We had to think about things like. Um, what kind of context does the group have? And so it was, it kind of turned into um, a different, a program management lens, I would say. Uh, and that has been a fun ride so far. Hmm. And, and you, you mentioned enablement there. Um, so this is a learning and development podcast and, uh, and, and I've heard uh, the roles of, uh, of L&D being called organizational effectiveness uh, enablement, I'd say, is least common in uh, in in my circles. You said that it incorporates areas such as training and communication, as as you'd said there. Do you think that uh, that that um, enablement, in your experience, is more focused on equipping people to do the stuff they're expected to do, whereas you know training can be uh, more notoriously focused on inputs such as people attending programs and uh, and self-directing their learning uh, via platforms and kind of um, hoping that some magic will happen in the transfer of that into where they work. Is it is, is enablement different in, uh, in in your perception? Yeah, I, um, you know, my background prior to Flexport uh, was not in L&D. It was more in uh, being a non-technical person sitting between two teams of despecializations. De- mm-hmm. And so it was typically... I was the person who was talking with our customer support team who then had to translate what they needed to an engineer. And so similar to L&D, I think it's about understanding priorities and figuring out what the context of the group has and kind of sharing that with others. Um, Enablement, 
from when I joined Flexport, enablement and L&D were actually two separate teams. Mm. And so there was L&D, which is here are the skills that you have to do uh, to for your career, you know, at the at Flexport. And then within my team, enablement was, and here's how you do your role. So from an onboarding journey, if you will, we would have what we call Flexport Academy still exists today. L&D team handled that. It was about the 10,000 foot journey of what does the company do um, and kind of how uh, how we're organized. And then week two and beyond was assist, uh, supported within your team and then assisted by an enablement group that was building programs to kind of sustain that. Mm-hmm. And so um, that also then what became kind of enablement was more of a role focused learning scope. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um... I'm always drawn towards um, uh, titles such as enablement and organizational effectiveness, because I think in learning and development, we can get consumed by uh, getting people to learn uh, and not enough focus on what for um, mm-hmm. and, and understanding that what for uh, to such an extent that we take responsibility for, uh, for for truly affecting that. But Alexis, your, your background is also in uh, product management. Uh, so to what extent does does product management influence your approach to, to enablement and what we would call L&D? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's, with product management, there's similar ties to L&D and enablement where it's like, I want you, I want to help you do what you want to accomplish. Mm. And I want you to feel delighted and reduce the pain that you have when you try to do what you want to do. Right. Um, so for me, uh, um, product management isn't so much like a role that I do, but it's, uh, it's a foundation for my approach and for my career and also like for how my team operates today. So how we've structured the, the enablement department at Flexport and also my individual team building, um, a, a learning platform for our, our customers. Um, it, it, it kind of dictates our behavior there. So that's been, um, and I think also uh, the element of um, taking big ideas from a design lens and then breaking them down into smaller deliverables is also a way that I take product management and apply it to say like program management or initiative building over time. And that's been, it helps internally to show incremental improvement to the people you're trying to build trust with, right? Because sometimes mm. we have these projects we work on and we know that we're making progress, but sometimes it's just dumped on people's, you know, it's delivered. And then they're like, what do I do with all of this information? Whereas if you can incrementally show that, that's also, you know, in software engineering, it's um, sprint planning, you're, you're shipping working software incrementally mm. and you're building uh, context for the user over time. So I think there's a lot of crossover there. Yeah, I completely agree. I've, I've, um, I'm a huge advocate for product management in L&D, and I feel that it's the missing link between um, learning and development and the um, fulfilling the potential of digital. Uh, I think the, uh, the, the gap has, uh, I heard a phrase once, somebody said uh, that uh, the traditional approach in L&D to, uh, to digital or online implementation uh, was um, uh, 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 launch and leave. Uh, <laughs> like, 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 
<laughs> which of course like in the uh like in the, in the old world you know you, you buy you buy a whizzy system fill it full of engaging content you do a little mm. bit of marketing and as soon as people hit the uh the site and realize wow this is you know it's 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 wonderful uh then it then it kind of sustains itself and then uh the the uh the vendor themselves does a runner uh, as uh, as you'd say on my my side of the world uh, and uh, and it's somebody else's job too and in inverted commas um embed it um but the, the, the only problem is is that uh, that the, the approach that you describe uh, in product management isn't there so in essence it's simply launch and leave um you know which we're doing the best will in the world uh, that's why we have another phrase called rip and replace when you do exactly the same again with a different platform full of different content and uh, and wonder why we have a, a similar response but but going back to, uh, to to product management i think that it will be worth because this is such a new field for uh, for learning and development and for many listeners it's going to be the first time that they've uh, that, that it's been explored could you just explain like unpack for us what product management is how this has worked in other areas outside of enablement that uh, that, that you've used it and then perhaps uh, a little bit more on on how that more logically fits into into the field of enablement yeah so product management um is is essentially a combination of of core frameworks and mental mental models that are uh, there's a whole methodology and i think um sometimes internally i've found because my background is in product management, or at least like I approach every role I'm in with a product management lens, um, it can kind of add a nice, uh, I would say, um, new perspective, sometimes a competitive advantage when being within a, a team of people who don't think the same way you do, right? You kind of add diversity to the conversation um, through that. I um, Product management is is typically, I think like, um, can be kind of a translator between different, uh, between engineers and kind of, I mean, the outside world. I don't want to sound like a, a you know, a tough on our engineering friends, but they have deep, deep specialties, right? And specializations, and they know how to build what we need to build. And so ultimately, you have to make sure that they have the right context. You have to make sure that they have the right information to build impactful things. And then when you ship it, you have to be able to tell your customers like, or your users, Hey, things are changing. Things are developing. Here's what you need to know. Um, and so, part of product management is like agile. So, applying team rituals to keep incremental wins and learnings front and center for the team. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of um, in in sprint planning and, and agile methodologies. It's about co-learning, collaborative learning within the team itself. So, um, my team today has uh, set meetings that we sit down and accomplish similar tasks for planning and for checking in um, every week, which then make sure that we learn from each other's, you know, um, challenges and also from some of the uh, learnings when they launch, like say someone on the team launches something and then they get feedback from a group internally that something didn't resonate, right? Okay, then naturally the other people in the room are picking up the pattern recognition of, okay, what resonates, what doesn't resonate, what's impactful, what's not impactful. Um, another great thing from product management that I think is incredibly helpful when you're at, say, a larger organization, I'm, you know, Flexport right now is around uh, 3,000, I think maybe 3,500 employees, but it's the largest organization I've ever worked at. Mm -hmm. I've always worked at um, 
uh, maybe like series B startups. And so there was inherently there's, you get to be closer to your customer in smaller organizations because you know the person who runs customer support or you know the person who runs X, Y, and Z. And so you can go ask them and talk to them and you build context. In a larger organization, um, I would see when I first joined Flexport or you know joining a larger organization, you're like, your personal network is, this, is your understanding of the landscape. Mm-hmm. And so my team today actually builds personas, which is something that comes from product management of taking a collection of characteristics, pain points, goals, background, roles, and building essentially like archetypes of who are the type of people that we want to help and who do we want to support. And so that's been really helpful because now I see after having done that collaboratively with my team, someone will say, hey, this next sprint, I want to work on this feature or this element of my, of my, um, you know, my offering, Mm -hmm. I want to, uh, element of my offering, like uh, basically we'll ask them, well, does that, is that for say Estelle or is that for Kyla? We're actually on a first name basis with our customers, but it's a grouping of needs and wants and desires. And so that's been really helpful because it kind of creates shorthand within the team. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, uh, that, um, that, in in the, the learning and development world, um, as as we've explored how similarly we might be to to digital marketing, of course, you know the mm. personas in digital marketing as well. Um, we we we're not necessarily creating fictional characters here in our personas. These people exist. You know, as you said, you're in first name terms. If you can be on first name terms with the people that you're seeking to influence, then you can you really can understand what it is mm. that they're trying to do and what they're not able to do efficiently or. Uh, uh, or effectively. And what I like about what you described there and where I think that there is a gap in learning and development, you talked about incremental wins. Now, uh, learning and development are far more used to uh, delivering perfect products. And that thing is delivered for people or made available and it's complete. You just need to attend. Whereas what you know, the, the product management approach is, if you understand what it is that people are trying to do and you've broken that down into, into smaller chunks and then you are seeing to what effect you are having the desired outcome, then you can iterate. You can, you can then determine whether you're making the effect that you're intending to or not. Whereas learning and development will deliver something and then look back and wonder, where's the return on investment? Because <laughs> yeah. it's they're delivering final products rather than incremental uh, change. Yeah, I think it's it's one of our biggest strengths as an organization within the team too. It's not just about like, we're this type of team building this in. It's like, we are you know, getting iterative feedback. It's been quite helpful. Um, I have a funny story of where that paradigm shift can happen for me early in my career. So my first, I also think that's something they should bake into university as well of like sharing work in progress. You think about like the courses you take in maybe in, in university, you go through the whole, the whole, um, you know, uh, unit. And then at the very end, you're like, ta-da, look at my lovely, uh, project I worked on. But like, being able to share work in progress is just such a huge competitive advantage. Um, but when I, my first, uh, my first um, job out of university was actually in a company that was um, essentially a, in like an app building company, I'm not explaining this well, um, <laughs> a company that, a company that uh, was, it felt like all engineers 
small amount of marketing people. Um, but part of what they did as their learning and development strategy was that they would bring in um, local like user experience designers to run courses for all of the teams. And so early in my career, I think at the time I was working as a customer support person for our, uh, for our in-house like product. So I was like completely separate from the business, but, um, during this user experience course, I was working with all engineers and they said, okay, you're going to mock up an app across the course of this, let's say four week, five week course, but every week you have to go up and present. And I was like, so intimidated because there's like all of these people are like, you know, I'm straight out of university. They're all like much more experienced than I am, older than I am. Um, and I wasn't used to sharing work that wasn't perfect or like anticipating what everybody else in the room was expecting of me before standing up in front of everyone. And I think that's a really uh, strong advantage is to kind of be open to um, feedback in, and that's, it's built into, it's baked into product management and into software engineering culture in Silicon Valley. So that actually set me up for success. But I do remember being so intimidated about being like, here's this thing I built. And I wanted to tell everybody like, it's not that good or that kind of thing. You actually have to just paint this picture of what it could be and some of the considerations you put in. And then you get really great questions or you get, or people are like, oh, I never thought about it from that lens because you have a unique vantage point being, say, the non-technical person in the room or being, you know, the person who just came out of university who so understand consumer behavior better than other people. You know, it just, it's um, than someone who is maybe not, you know, using the same applications that the, the university kids are using those days. So um, it's it can be intimidating, but I think that uh, getting feedback incrementally also gets buy-in from the people that you're delivering to as well. So we do a lot of that from a program management lens within enablement at Flexport mm. of sharing work over time with our stakeholders so that they're not surprised at the end. And then they feel like they have to ask a bunch of questions in return, which can sometimes happen if you just launch and leave it. Launch and leave, yeah. <laughs> I do a might have a name for the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier as well, uh, Alexis, uh, collaborative learning, uh, which is a hot topic in LND at the moment and ranked number two in Donald Taylor's uh, annual global sentiment survey. I wonder if you could tell us um, how collaborative learning works at Flexport and what problems you're able to solve with a more collaborative approach. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on the scope of the initiative that you're rolling out. So one of the things that we did in 2020 at Flexport when we became a centralized organization is we looked at our onboarding program that we had previously flown folks in to be taught by people who are on the front lines. And um, it was really great in terms of morale building experience uh, for employees, that type of thing. But at the end of the day, it wasn't possible because we were all sitting from home working and um, it was really expensive. You know, it's really challenging for us to actually sustain that. And it's um, and a lot of those, say, instructors were people who maybe were presenting for the first time. You know, that wasn't their natural like they weren't coaches or L&D professionals or enablement people where you're thinking about how do you tell a story to a room and um so we built up this, we, we leverage, we built up this curriculum that said, how can we build context for the whole company to understand the end to end of our industry? And so we put together a 20 course curriculum that we ended up developing. 
And through that, we leveraged over 30 SMEs across the organization, so subject matter experts. Um, and we haven't really gotten into the industry that much, but um, within logistics and within supply chain and within the technology element of supply chain, there is such deep expertise and it's such an interconnected um, discipline, inter like, you know, just physically, right? The box needs to go across the border. These these documents are different from the documents that you have on the other side. And um, and then all the way to how do you track your, you know, we're all uh, frustrated as consumers of where's my, you know, my slippers I bought because I'm working from home and I'm cold. And you don't under, people don't really understand or flex porters at the time didn't really understand like what are other people in the organization working on and what is the impact of something that I'm doing upstream, downstream. Um, so the collaborative learning piece that went into that first and foremost was let's pull together a bunch of subject matter experts from across the organization and teach them how to teach, teach them how to create content. Um, and we actually did that through 360 Learning. And so to today, to today our, um, our you know, onboarding program is in part uh, on demand and automated for anybody at the company to participate in. Um, we also, I also think in terms of collaborative learning, if you're thinking about community building and um, community building and say uh, educating in response to questions, it's sometimes, it's sometimes hard to scale, right? It's actually really challenging to scale because there's a lot of, there's a lot of maintenance that comes with that. So like as a manager, as a leader, like staffing for that, I think is, is appropriate because at a large organization like us, when we're working with subject matter experts, we're trying to explain to them, hey, this is, you're doing this in addition to your other role. I don't want you to feel like this is a part-time job for you. So I'm going to make it as easy as possible to pull your expertise out, share with others, but then building out those feedback loops, subject matter experts at a large organization has been a challenge for us. And keeping that, you know, keeping say like a comment section open was a little bit challenging. Hmm. Um, where I think the collaborative learning uh, has worked is interdepartmental. So um, A, making sure that your subject matter experts are people who not only have the deepest expertise, but also maybe have varied tenures uh, in the organization or different expertise, um, building trust by having your uh, training materials like on camera. Mm -hmm. um, this is a human face talking to me about this thing of someone I know and building in the what's in it for me, what's in it for us to the language of the content that you're delivering um, creates a more collaborative environment as well. But we've, it's been through um, a lot of different um, revenue enablement campaigns, uh, um, uh, drip marketing for the content we've developed, um, badging experiments that we've learned kind of what resonates and what doesn't. And so those are some of the things that we've been thinking about in terms of collaborative learning. There's, there's so much there to, uh, uh, to pull out, Alexis. Thanks for, for so much detail and context. I think that, uh, that what the last two years have, uh, have really highlighted for our profession as well as other organizations is that, that what we might have taken for granted as in role modeling the way that, that our experts, our more um, experienced and successful uh, employees, how that how they actually act. They, we, we, 
that was always a key figure in people's development in figuring out how to do the right stuff here. And when you take that away, then then I suppose your role in enablement, in in helping people to do the roles that they're expected to do, then you've got to you've got to prepare to equip people without them getting any of the uh, the the informal cues, the um, the the ability to just watch and work more closely with people so that they can um, experience firsthand what the expected and rewarded behaviors are. And I think that 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 has been a massive learning. And that's where um, traditional or more established ways of doing learning and development, which would have been generic programs, perhaps slightly tweaked, and suites of generic content that help mm. to educate people around isolated skill sets or knowledge bases were not actually helping people to do the jobs that they were expected to do inside organizations. And your approach to upskilling from within with a collaborative learning approach was, was addressing that head on so that regardless of who you worked with, that you were you baked the culture into the development. I've, I've said for a long time that, that mm. trying to remove... Uh, the, the the culture or the context of your organization for development is like trying to remove the egg from a cake. It's not possible. I could teach you communication skills, but I can't tell, teach you communication skills at Flexport unless I fully acknowledge the way that, that people are expected and rewarded to communicate in all across different channels. I mean, uh, what are some of the complexity that's been pulled out as you've you've been doing this? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's it's a balanced especially in, in not just like building templates and frameworks for me to go approach this and approach this. But as I mentioned, we had 30 plus subject matter experts over the course of, um, I actually think we might've developed it over the course of like six months. Like we went really aggressively to build this up because the timing was right. Um, it was also like, how does my, the team of the five of us who, some of whom, you know, hadn't worked don't have a product management background or hadn't worked in um, organizations where that scalability is absolutely necessary uh, to give them the parameters to capture the right um, context from the from their subject matter expert, but also keep it consistent across the whole campaign, right? So like if I'm an individual and I'm building um, building content or building a path for a learner, and I am doing the whole thing myself, then it's easy to be like, okay, I see the through line between it. Mm. This goes back to like some of the marketing elements, right? Um, but if you can't see it, the through line is was baked into the, the um, templates and the materials and the production planning of said course. So then I have to, as the person who's leading that project, um, take a step back and be like, okay, we set the tone. Now we're just going to also leverage. We did, we had like, um, we had like a whole like six step process of first you have a kickoff conversation with your subject matter expert. Oh, by the way, here's a template. Here's some baseline questions that you can use, right? Next step. And this goes back to product management and how do I kind of equip the team to operate that way? Um, next step. Okay, great. Now we're going to, um, ask the subject matter expert to record themselves from home, you know, spoiler alert, with varying levels of uh, um, uh, tipping my camera the right way or <laughs> using the microphone um, in a way or, you know, headphones or dogs barking. So uh, tough at the editing end. Um, oh, by the way, here's a playbook for how you do that, right? And how do you actually teach others how to do this? 
Um, so a lot of playbook, playbooking, a lot of documentation, um, but also like recognizing that my vision of what the end 20 course path looks like is going to be set with the right tone and the right frameworks that we rolled out the effort with. But at the end of the day, there's also like some magic or some art to the fact that there is, um, there are differences in the courses. And in, in actually, I think that's part of what keeps it engaging for the audience too. Because if you get too formulaic, it's like watching a television show that never surprises you, right? You're like, okay, I know that there's going to be this and then there's going to be, you know, laugh track. And then there's going to be a heartfelt moment between, you know, the parent and the child. And at the end, you're like cliffhanger. And if you know <laughs> what to expect every time, I this, this also goes back to, to um, I think a lot about how do people in their personal lives, especially with um, especially with smartphones and with social media, like how do people ingest information and content and how do I try to replicate that as much as possible in the business world, in the business sphere? So like my team right now, when we first started that long-term, um, we called it fundamentals of global trade. One of the most exciting projects I've, I've worked on in my career. I'm really proud of what the team was able to accomplish there. And um, we hear every day people who join, hey, I've been working in this industry for 25 years, and this is the first time I've seen it laid out end to end, which is pretty magical. Yeah. Um, uh, but my team now is pivoting to building, um, those were 30 minute courses each, which felt really good to build because you kind of have constraints of, hey, you can't talk too little and hey, you can't too talk too much to me. <laughs> so that was helpful and there was consistency there. But now we're like, let's do courses of three minute, two minute, three minute videos, call it a day, 10 minutes tops, break it up into small chunks because that replicates how I'm looking at say my Instagram application and I'm seeing like 35 minute, uh, 35 second uh, videos and that kind of thing. So um, trying to make it seem as natural as possible or as entertaining as possible is also a big part of the consideration. Uh, and then from a product management lens, you're thinking, what does my, what does my uh, end user want to accomplish and how do they like to already behave and how do they like to um, ingest information? how can I meet them there rather than trying to force them over to my side of like, this is the way that we do learning. This is the way that we do, you know, context building um, in a corporate environment, meet people where they are, I think is a really important element to product management and um, applying that to learning has been really impactful of Lexport. Yeah. All critical questions there. Um, you're all based around and the first one you said, what is it that people are trying to do? You know, then, you know, you, you know, I don't the, in our industry there is it's notorious for uh, uh, for a lack of sustained engagement in um, uh, in especially in digital uh, learning content uh, but but what it what it always comes down to and, and, and this is an industry that that will continually try to um, uh, try to introduce new and novel delivery mechanisms almost as a bribe to get people in because once they're in surely they'll see the value but what it comes down to it, it is essentially is what people actually need in the, mm. in the service of the work that they're trying to do in the organization that they work in, in the specific team and in the actual role that they're expected mm -hmm. to perform when they actually need it. And then you add the 
that, that as well by making it as easy as possible to meet them precisely where they are. And I'd go so far as to say, not necessarily just in terms of the technology, but also in terms of the situation that they face themselves in. Uh, because if you could find that sweet spot of, uh, of, uh, of helping people with what they need, when they need it, where they are, bang like you like there is no need for for new and novel ways of engaging people uh they'll you, you you'll get them and you meant you mentioned there I, I i'd be remiss of me not to um just to, to go back and talk about subject matter experts because i've seen this work really well in organizations you engage subject matter experts for a finite amount of time they feel um uh, more than happy to uh, to contribute uh, and uh, I've, I've even seen them become local celebrities in in the organization as well so i so i know it can work really well but i also understand there's a lot of reticence in, when uh, perhaps organizations are more used to uh, uh, a, a more educational uh, approach thinking well how do you approach subject matter experts and keep them engaged so do you have any tips for uh, for uh, for working with subject matter experts both for uh, approaching them i suppose finding them approaching them uh, you've mentioned about uh, helping them with content with the templates as you said but but also keep keeping them engaged over a period of time yeah it comes into well over a period of time is also i think a part a big element of it too. Like how long is that engagement and what are they committing to? I think, especially in a business right now, that is such a, so as tumultuous as global trade is with all of the supply chain impacts and uh, global events. Um, it's, it, it would be very difficult for us to sustain a subject matter expert engagement or relationship. If I'm thinking about it from a consulting lens of like, how long are we actually committing to work together? Um, it'd be challenging to do that over a long period of time. But um, I think there's I think there's a really important angle in how angle is probably the wrong word, but uh, approach in how I work in my and I coach my team to work and kind of set the tone within the organization um, to approach people on different teams with different priorities and that kind of thing. You have to understand what's in it for them. You have to understand what are they focused on? Does this sit within their prioritization? Um, and kind of, it goes back to my time in sales enablement. I think um, spending time in sales enablement is a great element of, or sitting next to sales or understanding what um, historically your demand team um, is capable of and is focused on is so important because when you're sitting in a team that is maybe more internally facing, Sometimes you don't understand like what's in it for the executives. Like, how are we making money every day? How are we, how are we prioritizing which markets to penetrate? And I, th and that also helps to build relevance for your talking points when you're trying to engage subject matter experts. I can go to our head of the business unit and be like, Hey, I know that you have this portfolio of products. You're looking to, you're actually looking to grow the attach rates for this product rather than this one right now we have this stack rank of priorities of revenue enablement campaigns that we've been asked to, um, we've been asked to roll out. And revenue enablement campaigns typically consisting of um, super tenured salesperson and maybe newer salesperson doing mock, um, doing uh, mock discovery conversations and building a very human shadowing program like experience. Um, and I can ask this, this, uh, um, person, the subject matter expert, like, is this your prioritization? Is this not? And do you have enough time to do it? So um, 
that's been helpful as well. It's just understanding like what they, what they're trying to accomplish and then make sure that what you're trying to accomplish with them is aligned. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that there is this, there's a virtuous cycle that you, uh, that, that you could engage in that if, if they understand that you're recruiting them to solve a real problem, that, that you can prove to them is a real problem with data and that it's something that they care about. I've never known a subject matter expert to say no. They might say not now, but they won't say no. It's in their best interests. So they're then uh, uh, helping to create or actually creating content that's helping people. They see an uptick in the data that they care about and they are motivated to do more. What I find um, subject matter experts aren't interested in is plugging your content gap, creating content for you to fill to put into your into your LMS because it's a it's a it's a perceived uh, problem by learning and development rather than an actual problem being experienced and uh, by the organization and something that they care about but, but what about employees themselves did you need to prepare them uh, employees and leaders for collaborative learning because it is a departure from what people know uh, from uh, being uh, perhaps an attendee or a delegate on a class uh, or to consume some e-learning. I mean, those are much more passive experiences than being equipped to do the things that you're expected to do, uh, where, where that's much more uh, active. Was was there much preparation you need to do there? Yeah, great question. I think um, the playbooks helped, at least for the people who are leading the courses and who are operating um, in that lens. People who are leading the courses uh, from the enablement team with the subject matter experts. Um, they were able to kind of be like, we'll make it really easy for you. But in terms of the paradigm shift, I think we also were very thoughtful about who do we select to be the instructor here? It was a balance between having that deep expertise. And I have that, we have that um, balance between having the deep expertise. It's a balance between having that deep expertise and um, having a uh, having an aptitude or a willingness to be engaging and to be a and to be speaking to an audience and to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I think that storytelling is an important element to that. But we also try to play a role in selecting um, people across the organization for these campaigns who are um, who are trusted, who are tenured, who are um, ambitious and uh, you know rising in the ranks in their career and balancing that thoughtfully as a part of the overall plan. So it's not just about, does this person have the most years of experience in, the, in say um, how our trucking networks configured? It's like, who has a great tone of voice and can tell this story with deadpan humor involved in that. And then we find our SME, right? And and that's one of my, uh, back to that course, I think it's, it's kind of baking in some fun and playfulness to it. And it, it actually, from a, a career perspective and from, a, um, you know, managing the learning experience perspective, it's a part of the holistic experience. And also it makes my job more fun. It makes it more creative to be selective of like, who would be the best to teach this specific course. So um, I think that's an important element of uh, play, like coaching or um, convincing the subject matter expert that their natural skill sets and their natural talents are something that we've selected on purpose, right? And so it's not just flattery. It's like, hey, you know, the way you speak in meetings is already engaging. So let's just like bottle that up. Yeah. Um, and that was and that was part of the approach. Um, with uh, those types of campaigns. 
Wonderful. Uh, Alexis, as we uh, we look to wrap up, if the listener likes what they've heard, and we've covered a great deal during this uh, this conversation, but if they're, they're, they're interested in, say, product management, uh, collaborative learning, in which uh, uh, requires uh, the engagement of sub- subject matter experts, how do you recommend they get started themselves? Great question. I think... Um... I think there's a bunch of ways to approach it. There's so much content that like user generated content on the internet that I think is where I always tell my team to get started. So one thing is to, one thing that I've done is to look up who are the top people in product management or an industry you're interested in on Twitter and then go and follow them, create an account, follow them and just start to kind of like digest some of the things that they're talking about and Maybe this is um, less relevant now. It's all about the threads on on Twitter, but um, you know, hyperlinking out to different courses, uh, signing up to newsletters. I think there's a lot of power, and I learned this through um, a book, uh, Atomic Habits, um, about building the context that you want to be able to pick up these skills that you have. Um, joining communities is great too. So I recently joined a community that is like a Slack community where um, it's a separate like workspace on my Slack app where people are talking about what does customer education look like or what does this industry look like? And as I'm trying to acquaint myself with what this looks like, there's other people talking about and thinking about out loud what they're trying to do. So I think that just kind of building the context for yourself where you're starting to embody that the mindset of a product manager or embody the mindset of uh, VP of sales is a really powerful way to understand not only like how you want to uh, change your approach, but also how the people you're working with are thinking about their jobs, their roles, and their priorities. Wonderful. Uh, again, l- lots of great stuff. And uh, I'll, I'll certainly put a link to uh, to Atomic Habits in the uh, in the show notes too. But Alexis, this has been a wonderful conversation. All that's left for me to say is thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Such a fun time. Upskilling a workforce from within the organization is a powerful way of addressing the most important elements of development. As we discussed, it's not easy to separate what needs to be learned from the context in which it should be applied, and it's even harder to attribute investment to results. The way we discussed coupling upskilling to product management means real problems are understood and actually addressed. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David and Learning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.